Hello, Duncan Green here with the latest roundup of posts on from poverty to power. I'm actually sitting in Concepcion in the giant lowlands of eastern Bolivia, where I've just spent the last couple of days talking to the Chiquitano Indian people, indigenous people, who I've been writing about for years since I first came here in 2006. Uh, it's been absolutely fascinating, and there will be lots on the blog to follow. But uh, right now, I just thought I'd catch up on the stuff that's been going up on the blog while I've been in the US and Bolivia for the past two weeks. So let's go back to the Monday before last, 17th of June. Uh, usual Monday links I liked, uh, Roundup. I think perhaps the best one was Twitter trying to close down the God account. Someone has a spoof account from God, and Twitter decided to take on God, and God won. And there's just a really funny kind of exchange between Twitter and God about whether God should be allowed to tweet or not, which uh, just tickled me. Um, the next day, just as I arrived in Washington, perhaps unwisely, I reviewed a book called The Business of Changing the World by Raj Kumar. Raj Kumar set up a, a big network called DevEx, which is the kind of go-to network for people working and looking for jobs and discussing what's going on in the aid sector. Um, and I read his book with interest, but um, actually I didn't really agree with a lot of it. I felt like I was being taken hostage and I was being brainwashed by this very polite but insistent message that um, markets and the private sector and technology are the answer to everything. And it very much echoed the book I reviewed the previous week by Anand Giridharadas, Winner Takes All. Anand talked about this idea of market world, uh, which, which is so prevalent uh, in, in, in the US in particular, but more generally in the aid sector, that everything is win-win, you know, everything is tech, everything is great. Uh, everything is TED Talks. Um, Raj Kumar set, sets up an old, uh, a contrast between old aid and new aid, and new aid is this tech, private, win-win world. Um, you know, hug a billionaire, everything's fine. Um, the th some of the other things I, did, I was skeptical about was this idea of a singular truth, you know, that you can measure everything and decide what works, and everything's basically just like uh, medicines. Um, and I expect there's even doubt on that. So what worried me was that it was just reducing the complexities and, and excluding issues of power and politics and coming down to this really rather reduced view of the human condition and what to do about it. The next day we had a really interesting post from Christian Chiza Kashurha. This is a series uh, called the Bukavo series run by the GIC network, which is kind of reflections and voices of, of researchers from developing countries doing research in developing countries. Um, and this one was about <clears throat> what it's like being a researcher in the DRC, the Congo, and the issues of accountability, and were prompted by uh, a response Christian Chisa Kashuha got from one res research you know, well, interview, where they just said, basically, you come here to waste our time collecting our opinions, and then you disappeared. So it's a kind of persistent issue that people go in a very extractive way to do research, interview loads of people, and then don't talk to people about what they found. And I'm thinking about that right now as I'm sitting in Concepcion. What am I going to do to try and get any comments or views or anything I write back to the Chiquitano leaders that I've been talking to for the last couple of days? So a useful reminder for anybody who's doing this kind of stuff, this kind of research, um, whether it's just short in and out things like I'm doing or more extended research like uh, Christian's been doing. Then on the following day, I had a sort of download on the conference I was attending in Washington, which is the reason I went, uh, on um, the state of thinking and working politically. And I called the, 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 the title to the 
um, to the to the blog I called Take Up and Doubts because you've got this really interesting juxtaposition that has been thinking and working politically and its other associated things sort of overlapping but not the same such as doing development differently and PDIA uh, have spread like wildfire in the development sector everybody's talking about it everybody's saying they're doing it even if they're not um, but there's also growing doubts from some of the people at the core of the whole discussion about what is working and what isn't. So we had Brian Levy, who wrote a great book called Working with the Grain, actually now saying, well, working with the grain makes sense sometimes, and in particular at times of fast and inclusive growth, when there's lots of good things can happen, then you need to think about working with the grain. But when that does not, when that condition does not apply, you may well want to work against the grain, you may want to challenge norms, challenge the status quo, and so we need to decide, you know, we need to adjust according to what's going on in the world outside. Um, and then a great challenge from uh, Claire Lockhart, who's been working on fragile states and with fragile states in places like Afghanistan for years, saying, well, who is doing the doing development differently? Doing the development, doing, doing development differently kind of anonymizes the doer. And there's a huge difference between what uh, another speaker, uh, Anne Haddock, called the political economy of manipulation, where you're, it's just a donor trying to get the results they've decided they want, um, and something more like stakeholder-driven political economy, where uh, it's the local representatives and actors, however defined, big discussions over who is, you know, who represents the people, but local players are defining the doing, uh, doing you know, deciding what is to be done in the doing development differently. So I think there's some really interesting sort of tensions and debates which should be very um, uh, productive, I think, in shaping where we go with this whole movement which has somehow emerged almost by accident. Um, then the uh, following uh, post was another one in the Bukavu series, uh, Bukavu series by Irene Bahati, talking about what it's like being a woman researcher in conflict settings. So if you, if you go in as, a, as, a, as an African woman to do research in places like the Congo, you get some pretty strong reactions. You get things like, whoever heard of a woman leading a meeting when there are men present? So that's pretty hard if you're trying to lead a meeting and, and lead a discussion with a, with a focus group and you're being challenged just for the mere fact of being a woman. Um, but on the other hand, what Irani says uh, uh, is, is that there are many benefits to being a woman researcher, not least that women talk to you. Women trust you, are more likely to trust you, more likely to tell you stuff they wouldn't tell a man. So the obvious case is for how do you design mixed teams where you can both play to your strengths and, and, and make sure you get a decent balance of interviews and, and material. So that was very sensible. Then the next day, um, I had a... And a, a review of a really nice paper Jonathan Fox has been sending me repeatedly. Jonathan Fox from, from uh, the Action for Research uh, Center, Accountability and Research Center, sorry. Um, and uh, he's been trying to get me to read this paper, and I've been sort of, other things have intervened. I finally read it, and it's great. It's an account of PECA, which is a, a, a really inspiring women's movement in Indonesia, which has been running for almost a couple of decades now. Um, it grew out of a movement of widows and now extends to other single women in different situations. Um, and the paper by ARC uh, and Just Associates has some fantastic quotes about the realities of organizing what has become really a rather impressive 
pan-Indonesian women's movement. And it really did make me think I've got to get over to Indonesia at some point and see what's going on there. It's the fourth biggest country in the world in terms of population. And it's decades since I've been there. And there's so much interesting stuff happening on, on the ground and in politics. And then the next day, um, while I was in Washington, I bumped into a guy called Gilbert Makure, who was really interesting. He's our... He's Oxfam's East Africa Extractive Industries Advisor. So extractive industries are oil, gas, mining. And Gilbert's uh, sort of at the sharp end of, of trying to um, lead Oxfam's work in East Africa. And he says East Africa is like a, it's a virgin territory. There's an East African moment now because lots of new reserves have come, are coming on stream in oil, gas and mining. So that you've got a chance to shape how they're... How they how they are done in a so they they have better social and economic a, re, results than mining and oil and gas have done traditionally. So he's very excited about that. But there's some big big questions and dilemmas like when do you engage and when do you oppose? Are you, are you saying well look this this stuff is going to be drilled, so we want to engage to try and get the best possible results for local people, or do you say well actually the results are so bad or likely to be so bad that we will support local, local partners who want to oppose it and just try and stop the mine, even if there's, or the stop the, the drilling, even if there's very little chance of that happening. Um, uh, he's very aware, he's from Zimbabwe, he's working in East Africa, he's very aware of when should Oxfam be in the room, when should Oxfam not be in the room, the danger of taking the oxygen away from local organisations versus the benefits of being an international NGO who can actually lobby in the home countries of many of these big uh, oil and gas companies, open doors and get local partners in to talk to the right people. So very sort of careful on the politics of all this. One of the big and really difficult issues, which I'm actually finding here in Bolivia as well, is the rise of Chinese extractives because it, we just aren't as clear how to influence and how to talk to Chinese companies as we are with the traditional you know, US, Canadian, European, Australian kind of extractives. Uh, Gilbert sort of has some nice, useful insights on that in terms of the importance of, of talking to the joint venture. The other companies in a joint venture with a, with a Chinese company are one point of entry. Another one is um, to, uh, talking to the sort of business associations of Chinese companies, the chambers of mining. Uh, so there are some ways to do it, but it's not easy. And then finally, the a big dilemma which, uh, which Oxfam faces in these conversations is the whole question of climate change and whether you should leave it in the ground. And you know, Gilbert's view is, <clears throat> A, this is going to happen, this is happening, saying leave it in the ground will just completely marginalize you. But also, I think that, you know, it seems wrong to ask the poorest countries in the world to be the first to sacrifice the potential develop for development that comes out of oil and gas, um, and that there's a certain double standards or an injustice in countries who have just you know, completely emptied all their oil and gas and put it up into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide, saying to poor countries, no, no, you must leave it in the ground and you must leapfrog to new renewables. He doesn't find that a terribly convincing argument, I think. Finally, uh, just a last, you know, I'm, while I'm on these trips, I do keep, uh, try and keep abreast of all my, uh, my feeds and my Twitter, uh, uh, Twitter sort of timeline and so on. And I did another link, links I liked. I mean, two of the things really. Um, one was a, uh, a nice, a new, a new roundup of the numbers on humanitarian aid in uh, 2018, which shows that although the US and the UK and Germany's humanitarian aid has been falling, the increase in uh, aid from the UAE and Saudi Arabia is so great that overall uh, humanitarian aid reached a new high of about um, 29 billion. 
And then um, another really extraordinary, I, I, I saw this review on how change happens and my heart missed a beat because it was really brutal. Here's a quote. How change happens is less a monument to thinking than a demonstration of non-thought and a lesson in the power of neoliberal dogma to imprison some of this country's most influential minds. And then to my huge relief, I realized that it, this was not a review of my book, How Change Happens, but a review of a new book by Cass Sunstein of Nudge fame, also called How Change Happens. And the review by Aaron Timms is the kind of thing that, as an author, it would just make you um, die. I mean, I'm just, if I ever get a review like that, you know, I don't know how I'll react. I presume Cass Sunstein is made of stronger stuff. But if you do want to see how to write a completely vicious review, then have a look at um, Aaron Timms on uh, uh, How Change Happens by Cass Sunstein. And with that, I will sign off. And I think I'm going to go and do a bit of tourism here in Concepcion because it's one of the prettiest towns I've seen for a long, long time. And I'll be back in uh, the UK next week and I'll talk to you then.